Romans 13. Last week, we began to look and, and be reminded that in Romans, this book is about the gospel of God, and that is God's righteousness um, changing us, transforming us, being displayed in us. We uh, were reminded that we cannot be the gospel because we are not the good news. As much as we can't be the gospel, we can bring the gospel. Uh, also, we do not do very well to live the gospel. If we, our lives are the testimony, we lie about a new creation. But, so we can't live the gospel, but we can display the gospel and its transformative power in our lives. And, and the book of Romans shows us that. So it, it has this whole um, uh, reasoning and shows our sinfulness and God's solution. And then these last section of the book of Romans shows us what that looks like in the believer, how it transforms, how the gospel, a changed life by God, begins to take form and what it begins to look like. I don't know how many of you, like me, have been driving along one day thinking everything is going okay until you see a car parked on the shoulder and it has lights on top. So then you put on the brakes and you slow down and you pass cautiously and from that moment on, you spend more time looking at your mirror than you do in front of you. There's just this sense of fear. The anxiety has gone from everything's okay to I'm going to get nailed. And you just wait and wait and wait for those lights to go on. Maybe some of you have had it where the lights go on and you think, I'm done for. And the, they drive by you. That's a miracle. But most of us, if the lights go on, we get pulled over and the anxiety and the fear is there. Like, I'm going to get nailed, I'm going to get a ticket. As a, as a kid, you think, my parents are going to find out. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of fear wrapped up in doing wrong, isn't there? Well, you, you would never have that problem if you didn't speed. You wouldn't worry that there was a police officer if you were not speeding. you just carry on as normal, thinking, oh, he's going to get somebody else. There's only fear when we disobey the authorities. And so that's what uh, is one thing that's addressed in our passage this morning is this sense of fear of the, of the authorities. And it's a, it's a right thing. It is a good, God-given thing that we fear the authorities when we do not abide by the law. But is that all this passage says this morning? Well, no, that's not so. But it's interesting because it will also address, is fear a motivation enough? For a Christian, if, if this is the book which is supposed to tell us and show us what it means to live like a Christian, is fear alone enough of a motivation to not speed? Is fear of the government alone a motivation enough to abide by the law? Is that the proper motivation? Just fear of a ticket or fear of trouble or fear of what mom or dad are going to say? Is that what the Christian motivation should be? If this passage is the one that is going to show us how to display the gospel, that is God's righteousness and its fruits in our lives, then this passage is also a mirror, which is held up against us where we can look at it and say, I am either pleasing God or I'm displeasing God with how I relate to the governing authorities. How does a Christian relate to the governing authorities? We must have a proper grasp on this, on why we're going to live this way uh, if we're going to reflect our relationship with Jesus at all. Because your neighbor who does not believe in Jesus also does not want to speed and also does not want a speeding ticket. So what's the difference? 
How is it? How are Christians any different in the way they relate to their government and the governing authorities than uh, unbelieving people? Uh, and a question we're going to also be faced with as we look at this text is other things, other questions and issues are going to come up. Like, is it ever godly or God glorifying to break the law, to to not submit? Is that ever God glorifying? Because here we are commanded to submit. And so that's a question we're going to have to wrestle with within our own hearts and and in this passage. So let's look at Romans chapter 13 and hear God's word. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is a servant for your he is is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. On the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes, to whom taxes are owed, revenue, to whom revenue is owed, respect, to whom respect is owed, honor, to whom honor is owed. Verse 1, you see, it begins by telling us who. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Everyone. Meaning just that. Everyone. Every person. No one is exempt from this because of their age or their race or their family heritage or their wealth. No one is exempt even if they work in the government. No one is exempt. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. So every person then, not just indiscriminate, but it also is of every era. If it is every person, that includes every person 200 years ago and every person in 100 years from now. Every person, this command, some people have tried to argue, well, it's just for their time, you know, it must have been a different government, they must not understand kind of what we have to deal with here and in North America, like, it it must be different, that's why every person's included in this command. Well, no, when he says every person, he includes every person in every era. Uh, So it's not just for those in Rome, in the church in Rome, this letter would have been spread outside the Roman Empire, And, and God knew when he authored these words that it would reach us today. Every person is to be subject to um, every government. And not by meaning we must be subject to Afghanistan government, but meaning that we're to be subject to every government, including those without Christian values. We are to be subject to those who are not even a good government. We're to be subject to corrupt governments. Every government. The government at the time of Paul was not one with Christian values. It was a corrupt government. The government in the Roman Empire in Paul's day promoted, endorsed, and encouraged slavery. 
In the Roman Empire alone, there was 10 million slaves. That's not a good government. It was an oppressive government. And so it's not a good government. It was not free from corruption. It did not have Christian leaders. It did not uphold Christian values. It regularly encouraged its tax collectors to take as much as they could. And that was common of the whole era. You know the man Zacchaeus, right? The story of Zacchaeus, he would take as much as he could, sometimes tenfold of what people actually owed the government. And they could get away with it. And their government would never say, hey, you, you took too much, maybe you should give it back. Never. The government allowed it. said, do what you can, take as much as you can, and, and get away with it. This is the government that Paul is speaking about here. And, and so, they're to be subject to them. Under every uh, piece of government that there was for them in this time, it says, come under them in their governing. As they govern, come under them. Follow their leadership. Submit to their rules. That's what it means to be subject to the governing authorities. We'll come back to this thought in a moment to ask some difficult questions of when and when not, and how far is that subjection or submission to go. But look again at verse 1, as it says, it carries on. So let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For, here's why. Because there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. God has set up that government. God ordains and allows that government, even in its corruption. And he still tells you to submit as principle of obedience. And and it's interesting because here is how we come to see it differently. Someone who believes and trusts in Jesus and God and someone who does not believe and trust in God. Here's how we view this differently. We will handle the command to submit even to a bad government differently than a person who does not trust God. Because this person who does not trust God needs a self-serving motivation. Tell me why I should. How is it going to be good for me? If this is a bad government and this is corrupt, well, I better not pay my taxes. Well, I can just do whatever I please. But they also must submit as we are to submit And they submit so that they don't get pulled over. And they have that same fear. Or given a ticket. And that's one good motivation. As we did see as we read the passage. But it's not enough. Just just to avoid um, the fear of a ticket. Just to avoid the fear of persecution is not enough to submit to a government which is corrupt. Or a government which is bad. The motivation alone is not enough when a government is asking you to do what you don't think is right. When that looks like taking more money than you owe or removing what you thought were your rights. To the one who believes and trusts God, it says there is no authority except from God. God is our ultimate authority. He's the only one who grants authority. So they would have no power. And Jesus reminds the people of this, right? He says, you would have no power to crucify me if that power was not given to you. Like, don't think that you're the top of the chain here. Your power is is derivative. It's coming from God's power. And God gave it to you. They've been instituted by God. 
And so we who trust in a sovereign God, a God who is ruling over all, who is in charge, who is not removed and not shocked and awed by anything that happens, we trust in a sovereign God. And when this sovereign God institutes a government and tells us to submit to them, we say, I trust you. Even if this government is corrupt and bad and wrong, I trust you. And so I'm going to submit. And so we must ask, well, what does it mean to submit Well, we submit to God's plan and purpose for that government. How he designed that government to act. And sometimes, that government acts in a brutal way. And what's beautiful about that is it displays how perfect God is. When a government who is supposed to rule for for its people's good does not, you can see the contrast between our government and God. God rules perfectly he is not limited in his, in his knowledge or his abilities. He shows the human limits to our government. It also, when God allows our governments to fail and crack and crumble, it shows and reminds us again and again of human sinfulness. And then shows us how God is pure and perfect. So he designed, yes, even these sinful humans to be allowed to rule over other people. Knowing that... Because they're sinful and self-serving, they will likely abuse their power. Sometimes in little ways, sometimes in brutally painful ways. But because we trust God, and because He set up these governments and gave them authority and a job to do, we keep on reading and we see the job He gave them to do. Look at verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. Well, that makes sense. Obey the speed limit. Police officer will give you a thumbs up. Don't obey the speed limit. It's going to give you a ticket. Like, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It doesn't take much explanation to see that you should have no fear. There's no terror in a person who does good, who, who, who abides by the law. It's because... The law is given as ones to govern, as ones to set boundaries, as ones to say, you're right and you're wrong. And if you're wrong, here's the due punishment. And we're not saying that that's right. We know that governments unjustly um, accuse people of wrong or, or, or make them pay penalties for things that we do not think are wrong. But he says, just do what is good because this government says, here's his job. Verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. That's God's design for government. That's God's design for having those who rule over us and and govern us. Their design is for our good. There is laws that people can be prosecuted for murdering you, for stealing your things. This is a good thing. It's a good grace to this world that we have governing authorities. But if you do wrong, he says in verse 4, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. So that is also what God has given governments to do, is bear the sword. They can punish. Even to death. Capital punishment. I don't know what you think about that, but if you need to do any thinking about it, you need to look at this verse, meditate on this verse, and not just stand alone. So that's one thing that, you know, that some people do. You, know, you take one verse out of the entire Bible and get your entire thought about it. This has to align with all the other things you read in the Scripture. And so as you wrestle with, well, does God allow capital punishment? 
This is your key verse, your launching pad to go, well, it seems that he has given them the sword to bear, and he says that if they do wrong, the government can use the sword. So how does that, how does that align with God's justice in other parts of Scripture? How does that align with the wrath of God? And, and this, the very next part of the verse, it says, for the government is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. There's consequences in this world for our actions. Sometimes they're natural, right? If you smoke a lot, you very likely could get lung cancer. That's a natural consequence that God has allowed. Uh, Or if you commit murder, you very well may be murdered yourself. Whether it's by the person you're trying to murder or by a government who decides you were so heinous that you shouldn't have a chance to live. So that's the thing that people have to wrestle with as they look at this verse and go, Okay, that seems to be a job that, that God has granted as his servant this, this government. So that's one job of the government is, is God's servant for our good. Another one is to bear the sword, that is, to pay back in earthly senses um, for the wrongdoing done. And then verse 6, because they do this, because they're God's servant, because they have a job to do, then we pay taxes. We pay taxes. We um, financially enable them to govern so that they can spend time even, even though we think they misuse that time and that money, they're to, they're to spend it um, governing and ruling and judging right and wrong in our country. It's supposed to be for our good and it's supposed to be to avenge God's wrath and not their own. And so we know they misuse that, but our job then is to pay our taxes. Because, it says in verse 6, the authorities are ministers of God. So they're just serving God. They're just doing what God has ordained or allowed them to do. They're tending to this very thing. So then pay all that is owed to them. And this is not a, a new concept. This is not Paul's concept. Jesus says that. Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so then one thing we have to wrestle with is like, that I wrestle with as I hear that, as I hear Jesus say it, as I hear Paul repeat it. How do I pay my taxes knowing what some of that money will do? Knowing that it will support abortion. Knowing that it will teach evolution. How do I pay my taxes, knowing those things. Could I, myself, hand the abortionist money? Because I know it's going to get there to him. My money will. So how, how do I do that? And that's where we're going to look next week more specifically at this idea of the conscience, the reason that God tells us to do the very thing. We're going to look more at the conscience and how we can with a clear conscience, still pay our taxes, knowing where some of the money goes. We're going to have to take time to slow down and look at that. But just a snippet of what we might see is, it's like a a wife who is told by the Bible to submit to the leadership of an ungodly husband. Same way. The the command for a wife to, to follow the leadership, to come under subject to her husband, does not mean obey everything he says. But it does mean follow his leadership, uh, follow his governing of your family and your life, follow that, and there's a limit to that. We know that. And so in the same way, we are to follow and come under the governing authorities, knowing that they are an unbelieving uh, ruler, and that they sometimes, as much as they're supposed to have our good in mind, our general good, we know that that goes contrary to our, our godliness. And there's where conscience steps in. Scripture, which informs our conscience, says, um... No. Right? And so the same thing applies. 
And so that's how we can uh, pay our taxes. We're told to, and we submit to that. And next week we'll look at how we can reconcile that even in our own minds. But so far we see that the government is, is given by the sovereign God to rule. And here's the thing, you know, it's, as much as we sometimes complain about our government, it's not that bad compared to governments in other countries, right? Afghanistan, it's illegal to own a Bible. You own a Bible, you're going to jail. And if you try to share a Bible, you're getting killed. So our government is not that bad. It is foolish, yes. They make bad decisions, yes. They are sinners, yes. So this passage we can take pretty lightly, pretty easily. Imagine being a believer sitting in Afghanistan right now with your illegal copy of God's word. And it says, be subject to the governing authorities. How then do you reconcile this? How does Paul tell the Roman church where a lot of them could have been slaves? How does he tell these people who have had more money taken away from them than they owed the government? How does he tell these people, be subject to them? It's because God is sovereign. God is using this thing either to sanctify us, to, to, to display himself through us, to show that we are a people who are, are patient. We are a people who consider others greater than ourselves. We are a patient who are not for our, we are people who are not for ourselves. But we want to display Christ. And if that comes through sacrifice, we'll do it. If it comes through us being wronged, we will do it. So we trust God. That's the difference between you obeying the government and you submitting to the government and someone who doesn't believe submitting to the government. They only do it because they want to do what is right and not get punished. We have that motivation. Yes, you don't want a ticket. But we have more than that. We submit to our government because we trust the sovereign God who gave them the authority. And that, whether that's for our sanctification or for their exposure as sinners, we don't know. So we just obey God. We obey God. And not necessarily, it's interesting, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers, he said of this verse, um, you can't argue that the words be subject here or uh, similar uses in the New Testament means to obey. There's a difference between obeying and being subject. Coming under is different than obeying. Coming under means you follow, but not always obeying. You may uh, abide by the rules and the laws set out for you, but it doesn't mean you always have to obey what they tell you to say or to do. So it's a real interesting uh, wrestling to understand what does it mean that I might be subject to my governing authorities. Well, further than just being Subject, it, it, it says it in the negative as well. It says, well, resist not. Like, not only submit to their governing, because it's good for you, it's good to have boundaries. You like to have the government say that it is illegal to steal. You like that. It's good for you and your family. So s- submit to that. Come under that. Follow that. Encourage that. Pay your taxes so they can keep governing and policing. But then it also says, don't resist them. Resist not. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Whoever resists, resists what God has appointed. So, judgment could include the sword, remember? So then the question is, is it ever okay to resist the authorities. Because here we're told not to. 
Is it ever okay to not be subject or in submission to them? Do we always have to do as they say? Well, Acts 5.29 helps inform us. Peter and the apostles answered the people and they said, we must obey God rather than men. So when it comes to God's way or your way, we will always obey God's way. If you try to pit us against our God, we will always go with God, even if that means not obeying you and resisting you. We look at the example of Daniel, right? Uh, the, the men who were now threatened by his position thought, well, how in the world can we trap Daniel? Actually, how can we wipe Daniel out of the picture? Because he's taking our place before the king. The king likes him more than uh, he likes us. And so what are we going to do? Well, hey, Daniel's a man who prays. So let's convince the king to make a document that says, if you happen to pray to any god other than you, then They'll be eat devoured by lions. So the high officials, it says in Daniel 6, 7, the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and all the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Verse 10 of Daniel 6 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed. And he gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. He resisted. He, he disobeyed. There was a document put in place, signed, stamped by the king, and said, If you petition, if you pray to any God, if you petition anybody but me, if you bow down to anybody but me, you're going to a den of lions. Daniel knew that, and he said, oh, I better go pray. better go pray about this. better go pray about my soul and about their souls. He resisted the governing authorities. It's crazy. So then, there's many ways that we might resist governing authorities, or people, believers today, might resist governing authorities. Like the example in Daniel is a, a national idol. They tell you, you must bow down, you must pay homage, you must worship, you must elevate this idol. We resist that. And so, if you're keenly aware, you realize that we have idols that our government's telling us to bow down to. Gay marriage. You must bow down. You must kiss its feet. You must spread word of this great God. Bow down to this idol. Right? That's here. Or, human autonomy above everything else. Well, that person gets to decide when they die, and that's right and dignified. Bow down to that idol, and if you don't, here's things where we can resist. And that you think of doctors, it is increasingly difficult to be a doctor in our country. If you're a doctor, you pretty much cannot be an OBGYN or anybody that has to do anything with delivering children if you want to be a Christian. Because. As an OB, you also have to promote and, and endorse abortion. You're not allowed to object anymore in Canada. They've told Christian OBs in Ontario, if you want to refuse to abort, you have to find another career. They've told them straight up. Find another career. If you will not abort or refer to an abortion, then you must find another job. Be a chiropractor. They've also told doctors who are general practitioners, they said, if you will not endorse or bow down to and encourage uh, assisted suicide, you need to find another job. 
they are mandated by our government now to refer patients for death. They have to. If they don't, they lose their job. They lose their medical license. That's our country. They must bow down to this. So, as a Christian doctor, what do they do? They resist. And does that mean they lose all that they have? Probably. That's the price to pay in our country. If, if the government tells us to uh, renounce Jesus, we resist. If the government takes away our freedom of speech or, or compels us to speak in a certain way, we can resist. If it compels us to speak in a way that is contrary to, to God and to God's design and God's way, we resist that. Someone compels you. I, you may or may not have heard of Jordan Peterson. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian. But he's a man who is just fighting this on our behalf. And I'm thankful that, that we should not have to be compelled by our government or anybody else how to talk. Because as he's a professor at the University of Toronto, and they were mandating that he speak a certain way about students, i.e. transgender students, he must refer to them as their preferred gender. And he said, no, you cannot make me refer to anybody in any way. And they said, we will. So Jordan Peterson has been fighting that now for years. But that's Canada. Like, there's a, oh, a case out in BC of a father who had a child who was, identifies as a different gender, and the government... Um, has enforced him, has compelled him, you must call your child by their new identity. You can't refer to your birth daughter as a daughter. You have to refer to him as a son. And if you don't, you've lost every right to see your child. They took this man's rights away. They tried to compel his speech. So that man resisted the government, and I think rightly. These are the things that we resist in Canada. It's not just like resisting the government. It's somewhere like in Afghanistan. We have opportunities to resist our government in a God-glorifying way here as well. There's an example that uh, we must think about. His name is Wang Yi. So if you ever want to pray for a man, pray for a man named Wang Yi. Um, a year ago, he and a hundred of he's a pastor in China. He and a hundred church members were arrested just for declaring the truth about Jesus and not bowing down to their governing authorities in their communist regime. They didn't want to follow the state rules. The state wants to say what you can say from the pulpit. The state wants to say what you can read. The state wants to say you can't even have a cross because that's bowing down to something other than us. And so they said, no, we're not going to do that. We bow down to Jesus alone. And so he and a hundred of his church members were arrested this past December. Uh, he was sentenced to nine years in prison. Nine years. So he's sitting in prison right now. Um, that's, his name is Wang Yi. Pray for him. Uh, and he is not backing down. And he is not ashamed. Uh, he wrote a beautiful declaration of uh, faithful disobedience, he calls it. Faithful disobedience. A way that he is going to obey God rather than man. Obey God and resist his government. I want you to hear some of his words. That he wrote this letter and he gave it to his church leaders. And he said, if I get arrested, release it four days after. And so he, along with his 100 church members, got arrested um, and most of them got released on house arrest. Yang was put in prison. But he says this. I, listen very carefully. I accept and respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to rule temporarily. At the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is greatly wicked, unlawful action. 
The calling that I have received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey those human laws that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. But this does not mean that my personal disobedience and the disobedience of my church is in any sense fighting for rights or political activism in the form of civil disobedience. Because I do not have the intention of changing any institution or laws in China. The Bible teaches us that in all matters relating to the gospel and human conscience, we must obey God and not men. For this reason, spiritual disobedience and bodily suffering are both ways we testify to another eternal world and to another glorious king. This is why I am not interested in changing any political or legal institutions in China. I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority. And there is a freedom that they cannot restrain. A freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom, that I might take the gospel to them. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. Incredible. You say amen to that. Wang Yi has such a grasp of, of Romans 13. Like he gets it. I'm supposed to submit to these people. They are supposed to be there for my good. And when they are going contrary to God, I go contrary to them. When they resist God, I resist them. Beautiful. And he is currently suffering for it now in China. Pray for him and pray that we would have that heart if that was to ever be the case here for us. So though uh, we may, for God-glorifying reasons, refuse to bow down, we must always be subject to the fact that they still govern. So Wang did that. He said, I recognize they have the right to arrest me. They have every right, just as they have every right to try to arrest you. And they can. Throw you in prison if they need to. In, in the um, 16th century, they would burn them at the stake if they need to. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, incredible witness of people who said, I'm going to faithfully and, and respectfully disobey you because you are disobeying God and you're asking me to disobey my God and I will not. So they're burned at the stake or hung or drowned. Incredible that so many have gone before us and resisted in a way that is still being subject to their government. And the government says, well, you've disobeyed us. They say, okay, put me in prison. That's not... It's not that's still sub being subject and submitting to their government. They recognize they have the right to do that, even to bear the sword. Even if they're wrong, willingly taking the punishment, as they have their God-given right to do, because they will be held to account for every judgment they make. So you trust God. Say, God, you are sovereign. You have appointed this thing. You have appointed wicked people. And you have allowed them. Nothing is outside your control. And so... I know, and I'm just going to submit to them, even if it means my life, because they will be held accountable for that. Not one thing they do will be unseen by God. 
every deed. So we submit under those people. Losing all to obey God first. That is why, last year in 2019, 9,500 church buildings were vandalized and attacked. Because there were churches and places where Christians worshipped. Last year, 3,700 Christians were detained without trial, arrested and sentenced and imprisoned. 3,700 went to jail for their faith last year. And we obey even to the point of death. Last year, just shy of 3,000 Christians died because of their faith. That is an average of eight Christians a day dying. So they are submitting to the government who has every right to kill them. They're submitting to evil and wicked people because they will not. Uh, they will not resist God. These people say, I want to submit to God. I want to obey God. So they die for it. Just shy of 3,000 Christians died last year. And so then our passage is simple. Be subject to the government. God put it there. We trust God. And not just because you're afraid of the consequences, but submit because God has told you to do so and you recognize that he is using the government for your, your sanctification and ultimately for their account. God's sovereignty gives us the ability to just trust him and the ability to just walk in uh, submission to a corrupt government or a wrong government or a bad government, all the while having the option and having the ability and having the command to obey God over and above them if they decide to say, you can't follow Jesus. You can't tell us, you know. Even in our country, it's, it's hate speech to say on the road that the homosexuality is a sin. That's hate speech. You could go to jail. But we resist that. We say, no, the, the Bible says it's sin. Obviously, with gentleness, meekness, love, compassion, care, tenderness of Jesus, all with the hope of, of reconciliation with God. We don't do it because we want to just accuse people. We just want to tell them the truth. And if telling the truth gets us in trouble, then we tell the truth and we get in trouble. So we pay our taxes because the government's there by God's power, by God's ordination, and we're to resist them not. So what we're to do is we're to trust and we're to rest in His promises because He is a God who has set this thing up and He's doing something through it. So then let us be people who subject are subject to our governing authorities. We follow the laws until they cause us to disobey God. Then we trust Him with it all. Let's be those people and let's pray. Father, you, your ways are not our ways. And your thoughts are not our thoughts. If it was up to us, our government would have Christian values that they would uphold. They would understand. They would walk in wisdom. They would not uh, abuse finances or abuse women and unborn children. God, if it was up to us, our government would look a lot different in how they operate. But God, it's not up to us. It is up to you. The God who is sovereign and rules perfectly and allows only what is in accordance with your will and your, your, your desire so that we might be sanctified, so that those who walk contrary to you might be handed over to their sin and therefore um, face the due penalty that will come one day on them. And so God, we pray. We pray for them. Your word tells us to pray for the governing authorities. So God, we, we know that the, the burden on them is, is heavy. Whether they, whether they feel it or not, whether they know it or not, God, they will be held to account before you. And we just pray 
that you would open their eyes to see their, their wickedness, to see how they have um, elevated things uh, to wrong places and they have dismantled you, so they think. So God, we pray for our governing authorities that you would open their eyes, that you would help them to walk in wisdom, that you would show them where they are wrong, but most of all, that you would help them to rule well in a way that is good for us, in a way that does show your justice. But God, when they rule wrongly, we thank you that they show how perfect you are. We just want to be people who submit to that. Help us to have wisdom if we ever need to resist our governing authorities. Help us to have faith. Help us to have trust. Help us to obey you above all things, even at the cost of our lives. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.